0: Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the Reconciling Grace of Jesus Christ.
1: Welcome to another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi, I'm one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. Today joining us on the panel, Vicki Cundiff, who is one of the associate pastors for Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. Steve Wilson, author and graduate of United Theological Seminary in Dayton. Melody Morris is with us. Melody is joining us because of the different uh, positions she has held and a lot of level of, if you wanna call it expertise, I guess, on the subject we're gonna be talking about today. And Mick Wells is going to be leading our discussions today. Mick is the president of Wells of Salvation Ministries and is the co-host of the Cross Connection radio program. Last time on Reconciling Grace, we touched on the subject of abortion. And how did we touch on it? We touched on it for approximately 30 minutes and talking about how God sees abortion, and we just had so much more we wanted to get to that we thought we would just kind of continue where we were, where we left off. And so, Mick, you led us last time. I'm going to let you lead us again. Well, thank you, Pete. Uh, Last time, I think
2: we generally agreed that uh, the important thing for a Christian is to understand the issue as, as God sees it. And we get good information from the scriptures to that effect. And um, the scriptures basically describe uh, Jesus' mother as, have, as being with child. And uh, Mary's cousin Elizabeth was uh, pregnant with John the Baptist, and the scripture referred to him in, in Elizabeth's womb as a baby. We're going to get into other scriptures today to talk about Uh, The sanctity of life and how God sees it. And I would hope that each of you listeners out there uh, in this very controversial uh, subject would ultimately want to see it and act uh, as God would have us to act, to see it as God wants us to see it, to see it as he sees it. Life is precious uh, to him. Well, you know, the, the spectrum of opinions on abortion is all over the place, but as we pointed out last week, there's really no middle ground. The child is either a human being or it's not in, in the womb. And so the positions on abortion, I, I heard a guy say years ago that where you stand on an issue it depends on where you sit. Well, a lot of the people with opinions are, are sitting in churches, and you would think that the Christian world would share a uniform uh, view on on abortion and life. But that's not the case if you look at some of the research done because, uh, for example, um, the Pew Research uh, firm did a survey of people and their religious affiliations and find that the church denominations, the people, uh, their opinions, they're, they're all over the place. Um, some, let me give you some examples here. Churches that oppose abortion rights with few or no exceptions include the Roman Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, the Southern Baptist Convention, Assemblies of God, did I say that? African Methodist Episcopal Church. And then you go go all to the right side, where they support abortion rights with few or no limits, and you find Presbyterian Church USA, uh, United Church of Christ, Reformed Judaism, Conservative Judaism. And when you look at the individual church members, where they stand on it, It's anywhere, depending on what group they're a part of, uh, anywhere from 90% wanting legalized abortion in all cases. In fact, one religious group uh, was more liberal than even the atheists that were surveyed in this. And so you will not find a church group of people surveyed that hold that abortion should not be legal um, un- universally. In fact, 18% of one organization says abortion should be legal, and they're the most conservative group. That means that 82% don't hold that view, meaning they or um, 18% of them think it should be legal is what I'm saying, And so that's a significant uh, percentage of a group of people.
3: Mick, I wonder if you went into those churches, the churches who, as a body, as a denomination, say, no, we uh, do not support abortion. If you were to go into those churches and ask the people sitting in the pews, well, why do you say it should be legal? I wonder what what would they say. Would they... Uh, try to justify it out of the Scripture, out of the Christian belief system, or do you think it would just be, well, we really don't know what the church says?
2: Offhand, uh, Steve, I'd say it really depends on the circumstances. If they have church leaders and friends standing around, their answer might be different than if they were candid in private. Um, I would like to believe that um, all their views on life— would be uh, drawn from the scripture, but I'm not naive enough to believe that that's the truth, or that's the case. I, I think it's probably dependent on uh, a number of influences, including you know, what they hear on the news.
3: Yeah, I'm just thinking, for a Christian to be able to adopt a view that abortion should be legal, and it's okay for Christians to do that and to support, they can't be drawn from scripture. They can't be drawn from Christian tradition?
2: No, and I have
3: to be saying I'm accepting what the world tells me, what human science tells me above what the scriptures tell me.
2: Yes. And, and you know, my first reaction to something like that is that the Bible tells us that one day that we're all going to stand before our creator and give an account for what we've done, including what we believe and the positions we've held and and uh, on various issues. And when I recognize that someday I'm going to stand before an almighty God who's going to judge every person who's ever lived, that's very sobering. And I don't know how they could take uh, an appreciation for God and his word and his truths and think of even standing before God and giving an explanation to justify that position. Well, I sure.
4: think that's the problem with too many people in the churches as steve was saying in agreement with him of having the world's view and not having god's view you know a few weeks ago we we did a, a topic about jesus as the ultimate authority and so i think abortion is just another topic along with many other things that the world wants to try to tell us what morality looks like and we're buying into that as christians rather than viewing God and His Word as the ultimate authority.
2: Unfortunately, I think the influence has gone that direction. Mm -hmm. The world is influencing the church. God wants the church to influence the world for His glory, and uh, it seems to be just the opposite. Well, enough about the church here. You know, um, the views and positions on abortion in society has been an almost evolutionary... um, phenomenon. And uh, I think Melody had some information for us on uh, Roe v. Wade, the the federal decision at the federal level uh, to legalize uh, abortion. Now let me point out, and I think she'll uh, reiterate this too, that the states individually had varying laws on this before the Fed stepped in with Roe v. Wade. Melody, how did that work?
0: Well, actually, Roe v. Wade is something that most people have heard of, but a lot of people don't understand, and they really don't understand Roe v. Wade had a partner case called Doe v. Bolton. Both decisions were handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court on the very same day, January 22, 1973, by a 72 decision in both cases. Now, what Roe v. Wade did was legalized abortion up to the point of viability in all 50 states, striking down the laws in any other state that differed with their position. What Doe v. Bolton did was legalized abortion beyond viability in cases of the health of the mother. Now, here's the problem with Doe v. Bolton and health. Well, there's a lot of problems here, but... They defined health so broadly. This is a quote from the the Supreme Court ruling. They defined health as physical, emotional, psychological, familial and the woman's age relevant to the well-being of the patient. All these factors may relate to health. So in essence what they did when they passed Uh, Roe v. Wade was to make it legal up to the point of viability in all 50 states. And Doe v. Bolton allows abortion for any reason, any time, basically, through the ninth month of pregnancy because health was defined so broadly. But I think the background, the history for these two cases is really worth pointing out here. The Roe in Roe v. Wade was Norma McCorvey. She became pregnant in June of 1969 at the age of 21 for her third child. Now, she was advised to lie about her pregnancy and how she conceived and to say it was rape because she lived in Texas at the time and Texas law only allowed for abortion in the cases of rape and incest. So she was told to lie and say she was raped. She was not raped, but she said she was. Her story fell apart because she never had filed any police report on an assault or a rape. Well, enter the attorneys Linda Coffey and Sarah Weddington. They filed a lawsuit on behalf of McCorvey uh, under the Roe alias now, in the meantime, because the courts moved so slowly, she did go ahead and give birth and that child was given up for abortion.
2: Adoption?
0: Um, I'm sorry, adoption, yes. Now, later on in the 1990s, McCorvey became a Christian and she became very outspoken as a pro-life advocate. She said she'd been used as a pawn by Coffee and Weddington who were looking for a case. They were plaintiff shopping to challenge that Texas abortion law. In February of 2005, McCorvey petitioned the Supreme Court to overturn the 73 decision, arguing that she had standing to do so as one of the original litigants and that the case should be heard once again in light of what she had to share. Now, Doe v. Bolton was also a plaintiff shopping case, and that had to do with overturning Georgia's abortion law. Georgia allowed abortion in the cases of rape, severe child deformity, and severe or fatal risk to the mother. Now, the Mary Doe in that case was actually 22-year-old Sandra Kano. She was already a mother of three. She was nine weeks pregnant at the time the lawsuit was filed. In later years, she filed a court challenge claiming her attorney, Margie Pitts Hames, had lied in order for her to have a plaintiff. Hames had been hired by the ACLU in 1970 to contest the Georgia law. So that's the situation in the background. Both of them were done basically on shams for people who were plaintiff shopping.
1: Well, that's really interesting to know that history. I don't know that a lot of people know all that, but I'm glad for your expertise and for your um, looking up that information for us, Melody. And we're going to be getting back to more of this discussion in just a few moments after this word from our sponsor.
2: Welcome back, you're listening to Reconciling Grace, where our panel members today are discussing uh, a second program, if you will, on the topic of abortion. And uh, So many people in this world have been uh, confronted with issues, whether personally or uh, on behalf of somebody near and dear to them, uh, with this particular uh, issue, abortion. Uh, various reasons are giving, given for uh, abortion. Before the break, Melody shared with us that there's been kind of a turn of events in legal circles where um, abort- reasons for abortion uh, are focused on preserving and enhancing a woman's health to, to include things like even emotional reasons. The, you know, Melody, that that implies to me that if somebody woke up one day, and just decided they were emotionally upset uh, about being pregnant, that that would justify, in the name of women's health, uh, a decision to go get an, uh, an abortion. And
1: maybe there are other reasons, too. Can I ask a quick question? We have, we have two ladies on our panel today. Both of them are, are moms. Let me ask you this question, Vicki. Was there ever a day in your life as a mom where you were just emotionally upset?
4: Oh, yes. And I mean... And even for other reasons. Right. <laughs> and
1: Melody, I'm sure you said, you found the same thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. But that's where my Christian faith comes into play. I would never, ever even consider uh, terminating the life of my child within me just because I was having an up or down day. But yet, that's how the court systems uh, defined health.
2: Mm-hmm. So... Um... What are some of the reasons that uh, you've encountered, Melody? You were involved in counseling for a while, I know.
0: Well, I was, and one of my goals when I was counseling uh, for a number of years was always my my highest goal was to intervene on behalf of that child. And one way I did that, and many times effectively did that, was always to find out why the uh, young lady was opting for abortion or considering abortion because you have to get into her shoes and you've got to meet her where she's at. It's not good enough to sit there and quote-unquote preach at her that this is wrong. It's not good enough to say, well, you shouldn't do that, like slapping her hands. You have to find out what her motivation is because you don't know what what her backstory is. And so I would always try to do that. Well, one of the insights that we get about why people abort it it runs the gamut. Oftentimes, you hear people who want to argue pro-abortion, rape and incest, health of the mother, rape and incest, health of the mother. That's very, very seldom. Less than one-tenth of one percent of babies that are aborted are done for the combination of rape and incest, not even one percent, less than 0.1 percent that's the reasons that they're giving. Now, I wanna make the caveat statement that how people report abortions across the U.S. varies from state to state. For instance, there are three states that do not even report at all. Uh, uh, they are very liberal states and there are states that uh, actually have high abortion rates from near as we can determine. California doesn't report their abortion statistics, neither does Maryland or New Hampshire. Uh, The CDC is one of the places we can go to get information. And the other place we've got to go, reliable or not, is the Alan Guttmacher Institute. And for those of you who are not familiar with the Alan Guttmacher Institute, that is the research arm of Planned Parenthood. They are extremely uh, pro-abortion advocates. And you have to remember, too, that on the reporting, they go back to abortion businesses to get their statistics. And historically, it's believed that abortion clinics do not report all abortions because it's an under the table tax evasion type of activity as well is suspected. So from the Alan Gutmacher Institute, they surveyed 1,209 post-abortive women from nine clinics all across the nation and the largest reason that was given was 25% not ready to have children 23% said can't afford it 19% done having children then you go on down and on down and on down the list less than 0.5% in that in from that study said rape now the state of florida actually requires every abortion to have a reason given on the form they fill out before they get the abortion. Why are you having the abortion? Florida requires that. 92.33% said elective. No reason whatsoever. I just, I'm just, i just going to have an abortion. You Did mean, not even state you a mean reason.
2: Could be just as simple as uh, birth wanna. control?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I've got statistics too, which which I won't get into right now, just for the sake of time, on how many women are going back for multiple abortions. Basically, as you said, pointed out, for birth control, in essence. But in Florida, over 92% just said, no reason whatsoever, it's elective. 0.001, that's one 1,000th of a percent said incest. 0.085 said rape. 0.065 said life of the mother was in danger. If you add incest, rape, and the life of the mother endangered, you come up to 0.151. So when an advocate for abortion tries to push this rape and incest, life of the mother, this is not where most of the abortions are coming from. I'm not saying that those are right either. But they want to talk about, they want to major on the minor, as our dad used to say, you know, because they think that'll have more of a heart tug.
1: Well, there's a saying out there that say, um, difficult situations make bad law. And I think that that's one of those situations where we're talking about that, because if in over 99, 98, 99% of the cases, it's not those things to focus on those 2% of the, quote, tough cases, unquote, it kind of makes bad law. Wow. Well...
2: You know, uh, those those are very sobering uh, statistics and and points that you made, Melody. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'd like to just kind of compare notes here among the panel members. Uh, I think we've all expressed that we believe that unborn uh, children are just that, unborn human lives. I think this would be a good point in our program just for giving an opportunity for us to share uh, how we came to the pro-life position as, as individuals uh, representing Jesus in this world.
3: Well, personally, I can't remember not being pro-life. I mean, I, I grew up in the church, and um, I can't remember the, the first time anyone talked to me about abortion, but it always seemed intuitive. Uh, yeah, that's a baby. That's a, a human life. That's a potential for someone to do great things for God, why would we end that? You know, and and so uh, for me, as I grew, it was more um, hearing the arguments for pro-choice and and educating myself on, well, how can I as a Christian argue against that? Um, I said not becoming pro-choice or pro-life myself.
1: Well, I was with um, you know, I've said it several times during our episodes that I was kind of an anomaly nominally practicing Christian household, uh, but rather than the church being the one to inform our views in life at the times when I was growing up, and especially in the um, you know early 70s, like when when abortion was legalized. Um, What informed our life more than that was the secular uh, news media. And so I listened to that, and we listened to that kind of stuff uh, as I was growing up, and I still remember seeing some kind of program. I don't know for sure that it was 60 Minutes, but it was the type of program that 60 Minutes would have aired, um, talking about um, actually going into a doctor's office where a woman was going to be having an abortion. And, you know, it kind of goes along with what you were talking about before, what are some of the reasons. And the doctor was asking this woman, well, why do you want to have an abortion? And to the best of my memory, it was along the lines of, well, we just had a child, a couple of years ago, and I don't think we're quite ready yet to have another one. And, um, you know, they made it seem so reasonable, you know, that this is what this woman wanted. Nobody ever really discussed the question of, was this a human life, but rather why this is just such a normal thing to be able to do. Now, around that time, we started somewhat going to church on and off again And the church, the Roman Catholic Church, was standing up for um, the sanctity of life. And I just kind of shook my head, not understanding, you know, this whole thing. What was the big deal about it? You know, it's important that we want to stand up for women's rights. I mean, women's lib is an especially important topic here. And, you know, that was the, the thing to go with at that time. And it wasn't until probably... I'd say the early 1980s when, and I can't even remember specific times when it happened, but I just learned more about what does it mean to um, be pregnant as far as what, what is that growing inside of a woman? It's not just an extension of her own body. It is a separate human life. And I just learned more and more about it, and the more I learned about it, the more I realized this is a true human being, and we have to be just as um, concerned for that uh, child as we do for the woman. And so I realized that if it comes down to a convenience for the woman versus the life of a child, you gotta go with the life.
4: Well, Mick, for me, I was a child when Roe versus Wade, you know, and that became legalized, abortion, so I don't remember that. And I just remember in my junior year of high school, it was in history class and the subject came up and there was one person in particular that was, you know, uh, taking the per- position on abortion that she was for it. And so that's the first time I really had this conversation, you know, about this and listening mostly. And so I wondered about it, you know, it didn't feel right. And I don't know, I don't really remember when, but at some point, not long after that, I just never did believe that it was right. And never did agree with it and i i didn't grow up in the church so morally speaking for me that was the choice that i made because that didn't even seem logical to me and then of course becoming a christian then i really understood the whys of why we should not do that as we've been discussing melody growing up
0: in as a pk a preacher's kid um i became a christian gave my heart to christ uh, as a young child and it never dawned on me any other way when God creates life, He creates life from the moment of conception, and even in my uh, small, limited understanding of that, as as a small child, it it I have always uh, innately known that God creates all things, and we don't mess with it. And so I've never wavered from that. And as I grew, and I learned, and I studied, and I I learned the science behind it all. You know that just backed up. You cannot improve on what God has created, and you don't go mess with it. And um, I don't sit in that seat, so I don't do it. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, as you know, Melody, you and I growing up in the same household, we have a similar background uh, in terms of Christian roots, and I can't remember a time when I never considered uh, an unborn child anything other than a human life. But I must say that in my uh, adult life, <clears throat> the significance of life <clears throat> excuse me has been reaffirmed to me through life's experiences, Um, along with uh, having my oldest son uh, at a relatively older age. um, We went on to try to have additional children, and we lost two, if not three. It's hard to tell sometimes. But I do recall going into the office of the doctor, looking at an ultrasound, and looking at the beating heart. Of my unborn child, and uh, three weeks later, we went back, and that beating heart was gone. And I got to recognize the significance of of human life. i had and it was a roller coaster for me. There are people in the world that can't even have children that want children. and I saw this beating heart i I went home and I started very excitedly making plans to. Uh, for a nursery. Of course, every couple in that position uh, doesn't really know what color to paint it, the nursery and so forth. But I've grown to appreciate human life, and like Steve said, I appreciate that too, Steve. Uh, You see the potential in uh, little children
1: well, I think that's all I have for today. We need to pick this up next week, Pete. Right. I guess that uh, two episodes isn't going to cover it here, and uh, we're almost out of time. So, Lord willing, we'll see you again for Reconciling Grace next week. This is Pete Vecchi for Steve Wilson, Mick Wells, Melody Morris, and Vicki Cundiff. God bless you.
0: This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.